0: Today's reading is from Paul's letter to the Colossians, chapter one, um, reading from verses three through to 14. So that's chapter one, Book of Colossians three through to 14. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. You learned it from Epiphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins.
1: That's a wonderful passage because uh, it's just such a privilege for me and indeed others to be able to say that's not just words all over the world or wherever the gospel's bearing fruit But to actually know and see that that is truly happening. I've just got a a PowerPoint and I've got a clicker here which I hope works. Uh, Living Hope has really had to adjust to the COVID situation, but YouTube has grown and our YouTube channel now has more uh, programs than ever before. Uh, Podcasts for pastors, short messages, which try to feed the pastor, who in turn feeds the people. You notice that many pastors don't find it easy to listen to long messages. Not that people do. But uh, if you can give something really short and crisp, then it does tend to give them some stimulus in terms of their sermons. Don't worry about that one. That's not too, It's just to really summarize lots of things still happening. What we've been working on is, as Living Hope has grown so much, we now think of Living Hope Asia, which is essentially uh, the Philippines, Pakistan, and India. Uh, Also, we have a good contact in Nepal. And Living Hope Africa, well, there's so many countries there, I won't name them all, but uh, countries in the west of Africa, like Sierra Leone, Liberia, Guinea, Nigeria, countries in central Congo, and uh, the Congo is really quite interesting. I had a friend from Burundi who went from Burundi to the Congo in order to uh, do some studies. Quite interesting it worked that way around because the Congo is obviously quite dangerous and very poor. But he went there, and while he was there, he was listening to the radio one evening, and to his surprise, he heard my voice, and I was speaking on Burn Radio in uh, Kampala, which was reaching out to various other places. So the work keeps growing. Europe, many countries in Europe that we still have good contact with, and uh, recently we had a little team go into Macedonia. South America. This again is a very special part of the ministry, seeking to encourage uh, people like Rashid in Pakistan. Uh, sorry, not Rashid. Antonio in Ecuador, uh, Fabian Cortez in Colombia, and uh, Louis. Uh, there's several. There's about three Louis in Peru. That again we seek to encourage. I think we realise COVID has affected a lot of people but it was particularly significant to me that when we had a special meeting with Antonio and Ecuador pastors he began by dedicating a hymn to all the pastors who had died during the COVID time. You may have heard that in Wirekill there were so many people dying they were not able uh, to bury very quickly they ran out of coffins and so bodies were being stored in homes until they could do that. Very tough pastorally. Here's Pastor Sallow. I mentioned Burnaboo uh, when Phil interviewed me. Uh, he is the one who went to Burnaboo after all those people came to know Christ. He'd been trained in Kenema by my friend Pastor Emmanuel Borbore, and he was sent there with his wife And now, slowly, they're establishing themselves. But uh, just last week, they had quite a challenge because there were ferocious storms that destroyed their building and consequently, uh, two people were killed with falling debris from the building. And so, uh, Emmanuel said to uh, Pastor Salu, are you okay? I think he was really wanting to say, are you going to give up? Do you want to go back to Kenema?" But Pastor Salo said, no, this is where God has called me. I will stay, and we will build the church in this place. That's sort of uh, just a, a, a glimpse of trying to get through after the storm. Okay, Eddie in Burundi. I'm so grateful for the uh, partnership, fellowship, Prayer, uh, support from B H, and particularly from Phil, sharing, helping me. He's uh, the chairman at the moment of an accountability group to keep me on the straight and narrow. And one of the things that was of great interest was Burundi, because Eddie, you can see him there, he is going out on a number of missions, and he had touched these pygmy people. Some of them are not quite so small, but I was talking to him very recently and he assures me that many are still small, uh, in stature at least. But uh, through, through the generosity of God's people, they've been able to build a shelter and they've got the tin roof, which is really helpful when it rains, except if you're speaking. Because if you're the one speaking, it's like thunder overhead continuously. But uh, he's been doing a good job there. Uh, this shelter that he's built, uh, well, not just him, but the shelter that they've built and provided for these people will eventually seat about uh, 200 people. Uh, they have put this canvas around it uh, because they they don't need heating, of course, but they, they certainly need extra protection from the weather. Uh, these are some of the people that meat, and uh, this is some of the materials they bought for children. Uh, they, they really want to help the children because they realize that most of the pygmy parents don't read or write. So much as we want as soon as possible to put a Bible in their hands, at the moment you can't do that because they couldn't read it. But of course the children will be taught to read and for them it will be easier and so there's lots of materials being provided to help the children uh, be able to read and eventually to read scripture. This is Pastor Eddie again with some of those materials and these are the chairs, not all of them, chairs that they bought for the new place. White plastic chairs are very prevalent in all parts of Africa. I don't know if they have a special deal or not, but but they do seem to have loads of them. Uh, There were a few of these wooden chairs. I guess these are for the senior pastors and leaders, but uh, not that we would find them that comfortable. Okay, there's uh, again some of those pygmy people, and uh, just sort of so happy to have the support and help that they're getting. Very quickly... The Maasai, it's been great to reach the Maasai. And uh, they are quite a complex people, a, a unique group of people. But uh, once a month on the Friday afternoon, I share God's word with them. That's the little team in Macedonia. And these are baptisms in India. No time to say much more, except that we've been able to help S.J. Kumar, our friend, with about 50,000 tracks, which will be distributed in the coming weeks. They're they're another group who obviously heard of the Bishop Haddington Mission Month. Okay, Aubrey in Malawi. We mentioned him, but there we have uh, some of those people raising their hands saying that they wanted to give their life to Jesus. And what I particularly like about Aubrey's ministry is that after the meeting he doesn't say go home he will stay and teach them and begin the process of discipleship so that they grow in the Lord if you're counting I know there's not 71 there by the way and there we are pray for Bishop Hannington Mission Month I pinched your picture Okay, thank you Um, can you turn that off good, because I wouldn't know how to. Right, I'd like to uh, share with you a passage from Matthew, and then I want to share some thoughts on it. Matthew chapter 9, verse 38, we read, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Let me just pray once more, and then we'll share a few thoughts. Father, thank you. For all the good work that you've already done through this church into many nations. We thank you again for the incredible pioneering spirit of James Hannington. And we thank you for those who are pioneers, for Wycliffe translators, Putting the Bible into a language that has never had uh, the Bible in that language before. And many other uh, works seeking to break new ground. And we just pray that before you return, Lord Jesus, that there will be many more added to your kingdom. And we want to be part of that. Lord, please help us as we continue to listen. And please, Father, help me as I speak that we might honour you together today. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Well, the passage that I'm concentrating on uh, comes in Matthew chapter 9. It's words of Jesus. And what we notice, first of all, is that the, the context So, Jesus talking about the harvest is plentiful, but the labor is a few. The context is that he's been out and about in a number of villages, a number of places, preaching the good news of the kingdom. So, in other words, Jesus knows what he's talking about. Well, I know that's true anyway, but he knows what he's talking about. He's been out in the field himself. He's been visiting lots of situations, And what he's noticed and what he's seeing and sharing with the disciples at this particular point is the desperate need among so many people that he has met. And that continues to be true today. It's true not just because of, say, poverty and uh, disease and all sorts of uh, strife and trouble, wars, in other parts of the world, but even in our country, right around us, even here in Hove, we know that there are so many people that have great, great needs. They may not always be material needs, but there's anxiety, there's pressure, there's fear. What uh, Jesus talks about is a people who seemed harassed and helpless. I'm sure we can identify with that. We may have a neighbor who fits that description, that they are constantly finding the pressure of life almost too much and wondering how they're going to cope. And uh, this sense of being harassed, of being challenged continually, uh, you hear people, obviously in some parts of our country, talking about uh, their material need, their physical need, the reason why food banks have grown so much. But it's not just that, is it? Because what we notice above all is people who are shepherdless. And that's something that seems to really touch the heart of the Lord Jesus. As he looks out, he has compassion because he sees the people just meandering. They don't really know where they're heading. They have no particular focus. They don't seem to have a particular purpose They're just drifting along in life. And those sort of people can be found all over the world, although, as I've said, the plight of those in poorer parts, war-torn parts, refugees trying to get out of Afghanistan and all of that sort of thing, we, we see that, but people are desperate because they don't know God. In our country, perhaps one of the uh, preferred reasons for the crematorium is is not just that it's cheaper, I believe it is still a bit cheaper than a burial, but we know that one of the fundamental reasons is, let's get it over with. Let's sweep it away. Let's try to pretend it hasn't happened. There's a real uh, literal gravity about standing a graveside. The reality that someone has died is immense. And a lot of people don't want to think about that or face that. I think I, I may possibly have told you, uh, when we lived in Sharpthorne in, in, in Sussex, some distance from here, uh, I always remember that we had a neighbor, and uh, she was visited from time to time, I think, by her brother. And one day, his wife died. And we were standing on the pavement outside our neighbor's house, and this dear man said this to me. He said, I never thought this would happen to me. And you think, how could you think that? How could you put your head, uh, as it were, under a blanket, just sort of uh, try to dismiss these realities? And we know that there are many around us. Okay, uh, again, I, I think of um, uh, Aubrey in Mozambique. And the way that he went into Mozambique, not the most vicious part where they're beheading and all sorts of things like that, but another part. And uh, there were people eager to get right with God because they really sensed they could die because of COVID spreading in their particular part. Now, it's not just about death, but that is the ultimate reality that people need to know that there is hope. It's not that we just share the gospel to say, Jesus wants you to be able to face death without fear, although that is a vital part of the gospel. Because uh, deep down, everyone realizes that a day is coming when their life will end. And there are other needs as well. The fear of sickness, the fear of being left alone. uh, All of the sort of challenges and pressures And I believe that's something of what Jesus saw when he looks out. And we see his response is compassion. And that's what God is stirring. In a month of mission, it would be inevitable that there would be a stirring of compassion in our hearts, deep concern for those who don't know Jesus, whether they are near or far away. That's something that God wants to put into all of our hearts, not not in a morbid way, not in just, as I've said, not just sort of, when you're going to die one day, we need to get you ready, and yet at the same time to, to have that real sense, we love you, we want you to know, not just hope beyond death, we want you to know the life that Jesus alone can bring. The purpose that he can bring. The hope that he can bring. So that if you've lost your job, it's not the end of the world. You've got something far more precious. You've got Jesus. If you have had some disaster or other flooding in your area, it's not the end of the world because you have Jesus. You have a rock. You have an anchor that you are holding to. And he will see you through. He will give you peace. He will give you joy. He will give you hope, because that's what he loves to do. And in his compassion, he looks out to these people, the crowds, and he seeks to bring the gospel to them. And it's at this point that he turns to the disciples and says, the harvest is plentiful But the workers are few. Notice that initially, he's telling the disciples to realize the harvest is plentiful. There's a rich harvest out there. In in John chapter 4, he's talking uh, just after the event with the Samaritan woman, which was really a little bit of a revival story because that one woman who comes to understand who Jesus really is. He is the Messiah. And she's sitting by the well with him. We know that she goes back into her village and ever so many people in that village come to meet with Jesus. She says, come, see a man who told me all that I did. There is a revival. And it's at that time that Jesus says, don't say it's four months and then the harvest. He says, there is a harvest now. The fields are white There is a harvest to be grasped. And I know sometimes in the UK, and remember I experience both, I go into parts of the world where people are coming to Christ in considerable numbers, and I go into other situations where it seems so hard. And I don't fully understand the dynamics of why so much is happening here, why many people are healed from sicknesses in this situation, and you pray as hard as you can, and you may not see quite so much healing here. It's not easy to follow, but it doesn't alter the words of Jesus, the harvest is plentiful. And I think that's part of almost uh, uh, our psychology uh, or our mindset as Christians is to get into our sense, there is a harvest out there. There are people out there. Oh, I know initially I knock on the door and they don't want to know. Or I try to say something and I seem to be rebuffed, rejected. I know that's the external, but beyond that, when we get beyond that hard external, there are people who really, really want to know the hope that we have in Christ. You will find various things that help, Christianity Explored and there's there's all sorts of courses, groups that you can take people through. But I don't know how often you've told your neighbor when you've had news of maybe that someone in their family is sick or whatever, I wonder how often you said, we're going to pray for you. We're going to pray for you. And we're going to pray for you by name. If you like, I'll, I'll say a prayer here and now. And I've found so often that that really breaks through. People have never heard a prayer with their name on it. They've never heard, Dear Lord, bless John at this time. Meet with him. Comfort him at this time. They've never heard a prayer, as I've said, which is so personal. And yet we can offer that. And sometimes that can then lead to, well, you know, how do you know this Jesus so well and sometimes I know on the airplane again forgive me if I've told you this but on the airplane sometimes traveling I've turned to someone and I've said well tell me what do you do and they will say well I'm the pilot and you say well you shouldn't be sitting there but uh, now they will say uh, you know what they do who they are and of course I'm waiting I'm longing for the question, what do you do? And of course sometimes they wish they hadn't asked. But but it's just a simple opportunity. Simple opportunity, what do you do? Well, I do whatever and I'm a member of my local church and we love to praise God, we love to hear his word and if you live nearby, it'd be great to have you come along and see for yourself what we're doing. The harvest is plentiful. I think that's that's why it's so uh, helpful so often when you're in certain situations to give an invitation. It doesn't fall into invitation. I mean, there are some people who give an altar call every time. Well, I don't think that's wise. I think we have to be sensitive. What is God saying at a particular time? And sometimes you can sense Like we did when we were preaching to Burnaboo. I just knew in my heart there was a big harvest out there. I couldn't tell you why it was a thing in my spirit. I couldn't see them. I was sitting thousands of miles away. And then one gives the opportunity. But other times it's most unhelpful to get people to come out to the front. That's going to stop them coming to Christ rather than bringing them. One needs to be sensitive. Ask the Lord of the harvest to send workers in to the harvest. That's what we pray during this month, that there will be more workers available to be sent into the harvest. It might be that you go to visit an old people's home. It might be that you go to to the Lewis prison. Uh, There's great work going on there. There's all ways that you can get into the harvest field it may be taking responsibility for one of the groups that is desperate for a leader to help them uh, here in the many activities but it comes from prayer Jesus said pray, he didn't say go and pigeonhole loads of people and keep twisting their arm and pressuring them until they go he didn't say that he said pray And of course, when he chose the 12 disciples, which comes just after this, how did those people come to his mind, to his heart? Well, he prayed the whole night. He prayed the whole night. Jesus sets the example always. And so, the harvest is plentiful. The laborers are few. Make sure that you have enlisted that your name is there, that if Jesus says, this is what I want you to do, that you say, here I am, Lord. And you can't do that until you've personally trusted Jesus for yourself. But be available. God bless you.